when they decide, I want to spend more time with my girlfriend, I'm not going to live up here. Well, the deal was they're going to live up there until we build this thing. So the thing is being built. There's a whole bunch of problems with it being built and they're not there to handle any of the problems. So now there's a conflict because this person gave $500,000 and now he's paying these people and nothing is getting done and we're not getting any closer. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join our Facebook group to connect with our community of guests and fellow listeners. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest, Anthony Anarino. Anthony, are you ready to rock? I am ready. When you said this is my worst investment, I thought you were talking about the time you're spending with me. Yes, this is definitely not my worst investment. In fact, as listeners know, the golden nuggets that we learn from guests like you turns out to be some of our best investments of time. So really excited to have you on the show. And let me introduce you to the audience. And, you know, before I turned on the recorder, I even said, ladies and gentlemen, the reason why I like to have people from sales, marketing, and many other areas that I know nothing about or very little about is because I want to learn what they know. So Anthony Anarino is a writer, a speaker, an entrepreneur, and an author of three books on sales. The only sales guide you'll ever need, The Lost Art of Closing, and Eat their lunch. He writes and publishes every day at www.thesalesblog.com. Anthony, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Oh, there's so many tidbits. I'll just give you the best story that I can tell you. In 1992, I was in Los Angeles, California, fronting a hair metal band. So there you go. There's no hair anymore. Just gray hair (laughs) on the beard. And uh, I had a grandma seizure walking up the steps to my Brentwood apartment. And I was diagnosed with an arterial venous malformation, which is a big group of arteries and veins that grow into a knot on the back of my front right temporal lobe. I was operated on two times, one time where they glued it shut with a type of epoxy, an experimental procedure. And the next day they opened up my skull, cut out the two arteries and veins that were holding the knot in place, and then cut out a piece of the back front temporal right lobe without telling me, like they didn't know that they were going to need to do that. So I woke up and they're like, well, we had to cut a piece of your brain off. And you're like, wow, (laughs) I did not expect that. You know, I thought they were going to take out the AVM. After that, I went to college. I went to law school. I went to Harvard business school, became an entrepreneur. And now I'm here. Mm. And how did that experience shape your life and the way you look at life? It's like this fast, you recognize what's important. The only thing that's important are the relationships you have with other human beings. Everything else is nothing. Mm. That's great advice. I mean, a lot of people are like, how do I know what to focus on? It's so overwhelming these days and all that. But you just heard Anthony snap his fingers and say, it's about the relationships. So ladies and gentlemen, there's one piece of learning right there. And who are the most important relationships? Where are they around you? identify them and take a piece of advice from Anthony right now. 
and invest in them in some way right now, today? Well, let me just ask you a little bit more about sales. You know, as I said, I'm not, when I was young, I studied finance and I thought to myself, oh, sales is easy. It's common sense, but finance is hard. You know, it's formulas and calculations. How wrong I was. In fact, formulas are really easy to learn and memorize and apply. But sales is much more complex. There's just not that exact structure as there is in finance. So tell us a little bit. I mean, I have a whole new respect for sales, but tell us about what your experience is with sales, what people will find by going to your website, reading your books. What is it about you and sales? Teach us. Let, let, me, let me just try to pull these two things together. So finance is a set of rules, right? It's a set of rules. So you're doing calculations. Now, it's good that you learned how to do them on paper when you learned that. But now it's a spreadsheet, right? You type in some numbers, it does all the math for you. That doesn't happen in sales. So sales is a dynamic, complex discussion between two people, or maybe more than two people, about significant change. And what we do when we sell is we go into someone's world and we say, there's a way for you to get a better result than you're getting right now. In order to do that, I'm going to have to teach you some things so that you can understand how you're going to need to make changes to be able to generate the results that you want. So I would say, Andrew, whenever you're teaching, you're selling, and you're giving somebody the ability to get a better result that they could get without you. So your academy is about how do I help other people generate a result that they could not generate without my help and this particular information. So in the world right now, a lot of people think there's no more information disparity, but there's tremendous information disparity. So Andrew spent his whole life studying how people fail to know how to win. So I don't have that information. So Andrew is one up. I am one down. So for me to get better, Andrew has to depart his information to me so that I'm not one down anymore. Mm -hmm. Now, if it comes to sales and we have a big B2B deal on the line, Andrew, you're going to want me to go and handle that because I've spent, since I was 15 years old, I've been selling. So I'm one up in this particular area because I have information that you don't have, but I'll give you the best rule I can give you. Mm. Whenever you ask a client for anything, you're responsible for trading them enough value that they can say yes. So if I ask you for a meeting and I say, I just want to talk about me and all the stuff I could sell you, Andrew, you're like, well, that doesn't seem like a great way to spend my time. But if I said, I want to share with you the four trends that I think are going to have the biggest impact on your audience as it pertains to the investments that they make during this post-pandemic and still pandemic time, you would go like, well, I'd be interested to know what you think those four forces are because that would be useful to me. Mm -hmm. So if you just decide I have to be useful to other people, I have to be able to cover their information disparity, you're, you're mostly on the right track. You know, there's uh, two words that I took from what you just said. The first one is change and the second one is value. Yeah. And I never really thought about it you know, about how sales is change. I mean, somebody, you're asking somebody to change. And, you know, in my online courses, you know, there's a statistic that you hear and I have seen played out and that is 10% of people who join online courses finish them. Right. And what I see is that, you know, 
you could look at that and say, hey, look, I made good money on those 90 because I didn't even apply any resources. But when I look at that, I feel like I really failed. I didn't get the information to them. And so I started something called the Valuation Masterclass Bootcamp, where I said, look, we're going to set a six-week schedule. I'm going to drip feed this information to you. I'm going to track your performance and announce it in the group. We're going to have group daily meetings where we're going to follow up. You're going to have a team. You're going to have accountability. All of a sudden, it changed the dynamic of the course where people started to feel confident that I could change them, that by attending this, they would change themselves, and I would provide the framework for that. So we call that transformation. This is the transformation you are going to go through. And that's the same as the, the word change. So right. what are your thoughts on that? Am I going in the right direction? What do you think? I, absolutely. I, I have this idea for a gym, like a chain of gyms. And it will be uh, $75 a month for a membership if you go four times a week. But if you don't go four times a week and we don't swipe your card, it's $300 a month. Uh, I I think that that's the way it works because what happens is somebody, they're like, I'm going to get in shape. I'm going to get a gym membership. Then they get the gym membership. Right. And they're like, I got a gym membership. I solved my problem. I have a gym membership. Now your problem's just beginning. (laughs) Your problem's just getting started because you're not disciplined enough to go to the gym. And so it doesn't matter how many gym memberships you have. You don't even need one. I mean, you could do it with body weight and be okay, but that's the thing. When they think they've solved the problem, like they bought the course. So I solved my mm. problem. No, you yeah. have to, this is the difference between somebody buying something and somebody committing to something. Mm. When you say you have to be here every day, that's a commitment. We could start that gym together because I have another angle for that gym. Being a risk management expert, I have researched the top five injuries that happen at gyms. I know exactly what they are. I know how they happen. I have all the information about how they can be prevented. And I've even got posters that I've created to describe them and how to prevent them. My idea is to put them up on the wall to say, when you come in this gym, you're going to be paying money. But the problem is 57% of people who come to gyms within three months of coming They will have injured themselves and can never do it again. And these are the five most common risks that you're going to face. And our team is going to train you. And then from that, boom. Rotator cup? Yep. Rotator cup, that's got to be one of them. Exactly. Hernia? Yes. And knee injury, elbow. Yep. It's just very common thing. So we'll combine it with your payment structure and my risk management. And hopefully, at least we'll get some customers. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the other thing I want to just mention is the other thing I took away, I said two words. The first was change. The second was value. And, you know, what you were saying is that you've got to offer enough value for them to say yes. And the way I always talk about it with my team is I say, look, if I was to on this podcast, for instance, we talk about a lead magnet. We talk about how we attract people. I said, if I was to say, go to my worstinvestmentever.com, sign up and get your $10,000 for free. Everybody's going to come. And they're going to sign up. I'm going to make it really easy. They come, they sign up, they get their $10,000, done. So don't tell me that people won't act. People will act when they see value that is worth taking the action. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not offering $10,000. I am offering for you to join our Facebook group. But 
that is the concept of value from my perspective. Anything else you would teach us about what you mean by enough value? What, what does the decision maker do? Has to make a decision, I guess. Right. So if you had to make a decision in a world of uncertainty, what do you think you would find valuable? Well, I, I, think, I guess if you can help me reduce my risk in making this decision. That would be very, very valuable, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. And what if I could tell you all the factors you need to consider and why some might serve you better than others? Would that be helpful? That would help if me I because I don't, you, let's say I don't understand the whole thing, what's available out there. And if you can help me to understand that, that's definitely valuable. Right. So I, I think that what you're doing when you're selling is decision enablement. I'm helping enable you to make a decision. So I don't know where you start your journey, but I know where I pick you up in your journey and I figure out what you know and what you don't know. And then I start imparting my ideas and my insights to you. So you no longer have the disparity and you go, I can see why this would be more important than that. And then I'm helping you make a decision. So for a decision maker, somebody who's buying and is going into change, they need certainty that they can make a decision. They need to avoid risk. They need to be able to get their team to go along with it. And it needs to produce the better result that they, they want. So that is the, the game that we play in mm. sales. Mm. How do we help them make the best decision and get the best results? You know, we inadvertently went into this process before we turned on the recorder because I asked you about your camera. And you said, I have a Canon 5D Mark IV. It costs about $2,500 and also my lens costs about $2,500. Now, I have a Logitech Brio and I've been thinking about replacing it with a better camera and it's overwhelming. I don't have the interest or the time to look at 10 different, you know, options. And I don't have the knowledge to be able to do that. So whether it's, you know, someone like yourself saying, here's what I've used, here's what's worked, or it's a, a YouTube video where a guy goes to top 10 cameras to look, even then I don't want the top 10. I just really need to know the top three or whatever, top one. That's the one. I'm only going to buy one. Yeah. Yeah. I'll send you i I'll send you a picture of the teleprompter. And in the, the order sheet that, that I, I got it from and the camera. So if you want to, it's very nice looking and like doing these kinds of shows, you know, in you're talking to the person because they're in a teleprompter in front of you mm. and you've got a nice camera. It's, it's just a better experience for everybody. Maybe, maybe we can include that in the show notes so people can see your setup and what you're sure. doing and get some, uh, get some learning right there. Boy, we're learning a lot. And now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us your story. Okay, so I, I have some family businesses and one of the partners has a son who hangs out with interesting people. And he found some interesting people who were engineers and they were at a very large college here in the city of Columbus, Ohio. And they were working on a project and the project was around nanoparticles. Okay, so a, a very esoteric kind of thing, but something that is growing. It's a field that's growing right now. And they found out how to do something that no one was able to do. So this is the part that this is going to get your attention. So you hear this. No one has been able to do this with nanoparticles, but they know it's possible. And what happened was they figured out 
how to take these particles and put them in such a configuration that you would be able to put them on the wing of an airplane and you would not have the possibility of it freezing, nor would lightning strike do anything to the wing or the plane whatsoever. There's a whole bunch of practical applications. Windmills, windmills are down 30% of the time because ice causes them to freeze and one of the, the blades falls off and somebody has to do something. If you were able to put nanoparticles on that and run 1% of the electricity coming through the windmill, just use 1% of it. So you can capture the other 99. You would never have to de-ice. They would run constantly. So there's tons of applications for this. It's an amazing, amazing discovery that they found. And no one believed them. But what they did is when they got our engagement, my team, we started bringing in scientists to show them what they'd done. And what they had done is they had put these nanoparticles in a plastic filament about this thick. And they would tell the scientists, put your hand on this plastic. And whenever it gets too hot, then you can just raise your hand up. And they said, well, there's no possible way that you could draw a, a current through that in this plastic. It will never get warm. And they said, okay, put your hand on there. Whenever you feel like you need to lift it up, lift it up. They're like lifting it up. Their hand goes right up because there's a current coming through there and it's heating up to like 150 degrees in seconds. I mean, so they proved it. And so I watched scientists after scientists say, you can't do that. And we're like, put your hand back on there and try it, try it again if you want to. And they would look at it and they would inspect it and they would go, wow, you did it. Okay, you did it. Well, we never told anybody how we did it. We never told anyone, but we started putting cash into this and we started to build some equipment and we started to move down the path of, of helping them do this. Okay, so that part's the happy part of the story. <laughs> so, you know, at some point things go wrong. Well, what started to go wrong was we needed more money because we needed to build something, a much bigger structure. So the two brothers who had figured this out while they were in college, they decided what we should do is go find somebody that would help us with a real investment, far more than the million dollars that we had in. Our group had a million, 200,000 in, but we needed somebody bigger. So I'm being the sales guy, right? So who should be calling and talking to people about money? Me, it's what I do for a living. So I talk about money all the time, it's not a problem. And I find a $10 billion company that says, We'll send a truck to get everything that you have. We'll bring it down here. We've got our scientists. We're going to give you all of the equipment, everything that you need to develop this. And we're going to give you a bridge loan to make sure that everything is going to be okay for you guys while we do this process together. And at the same time, they were talking this to another person here in Ohio. And that other person really wanted to own the whole thing. He really wanted to own the whole thing. And so what he did without our knowing was he went to the two brothers and said, I'm going to give you this giant amount of cash and I'm going to give you a $150,000 salary each guy. But you have to come up here to where we are in Northern Ohio so that you can be near all of the equipment. And so we have all the engineers and everything we need to do this. So I said, I think the other way is a better way to go. It's a $10 billion company. They have no end of resources. They're not a small Ohio company, but they liked the money. 
$150,000 is a very nice salary when you're 24. Like when you're 24, that's a pretty good salary. You can make it on that. Now you got to be a little thrifty, but not that thrifty, right? So they move up there. We start building this thing. And they decide that the quality of life is not what they wanted it to be. Okay, they're 24, 25 years old and the quality of life is not good where they are. They're making $150,000 and we got a half a million dollar piece of equipment being built at the same time. When they decide, I wanna spend more time with my girlfriend, I'm not gonna live up here. Well, the deal was they're gonna live up there until we build this thing. So the thing is being built. There's a whole bunch of problems with it being built and they're not there to handle any of the problems. So now there's a conflict because this person gave $500,000 and now he's paying these people and nothing is getting done and we're not getting any closer. When they decide this is too much, we're bowing out of this thing completely. So at that point in time, everybody rushes in, everybody's got money. So what happens? I don't know if you've heard of this concept called the sunk cost fallacy. Maybe, sure. maybe, maybe you've heard of that one. Oh, yeah. People are like, no, 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 keep them in, keep them in. We need them to get this thing done. And eventually they gave up the whole thing. And there's still a half a million dollar piece of equipment sitting there that was designed to do this. That's never been able to be turned on or used appropriately. After this time went by, so the, what makes it the worst investment ever is losing a million two hundred thousand dollars so that that's bad but what's worse is that they lost the time so during that time other people were working on these problems and by the time we could do anything with the ip somebody had already leapfrogged them mm -hmm. and had already created a way to do it a different way to do it but an equally effective way to do it so even the ip at the end was worth nothing <laughs> <sighs> So how would you uh, describe the lessons that you learned from this? There should have been a very, very strong contract as to who was going to make any business decisions for mm. the company. But these two guys had more power over most of the people that were invested in this. Had it been my decision, it would have gone to the $10 billion company who would have had a much easier time than way more resources to do this. And it would have happened a lot faster. So I would have either insisted like we have board members and the board members are going to make the decision and, and I would have avoided that. So the first thing that I learned was like, when you have that much money in a single deal, you got to have representation there mm. and you got to have a very different type of contract that we had with them. So that, that was a terrible mistake. One that I would never make again. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the second thing I learned, whenever you go into an investment, you're not betting on the horse, you're betting on the jockey. And so if the jockey is an unreliable millennial who wants to spend more time with his girlfriend, you got the wrong jockey. So mm. I'm going to tell you, there's a guy here who came to me and he said, I want you to invest in my company. I didn't know him, but I recognized a good jockey. Yep. And I gave him $5,000. And two years later, he gave me back $89,000. And, yep. and I'm like, I had to give him money. I never met him but one time, but I'm like, He's going to turn himself inside out. He's going to turn himself. So he sold his business to somebody for $160 million. Mm. And that's the difference between the jockey and the horse, right? Yep. Yep. Maybe I'll and share. Once, oh, go ahead. 
we, I would never go into the sunk cost fallacy again. Like I did that. All you're going to do is just make it worse. All you're doing is like feeding a fire. There's a lot to that. I, I have a few things to, to say. First on the sunk cost fallacy, one of the best ways to deal with it is ask the question, knowing what I know now about this situation, if it came to me now, would I invest in it? Would I engage in it? You know, and if great, the answer is no, if the answer is no, you've got to stop. And I just had a conversation with someone and I use this all the time in, in decision-making and I asked him, Knowing what you know about this particular person, would you hire them if they came to you today applying for a job? And the answer at that discussion was no. And I said, there's your insight. Now, what are you going to do about it? The second thing is uh, Peter Schiff, one of my favorite guys who's got a podcast and all that, he always talks about on Labor Day. He said, we should have an entrepreneur day. Why don't we have an entrepreneur day? We should be celebrating entrepreneurs. What do entrepreneurs do? They, they organize, they find, and they coordinate resources. Right. And coordinating resources can often be like herding cats. You know, you, you know, this guy's falling down and that one, you know, has got other problems. This one's, you know, someone's facing legitimate problems in their family life. And, and then there's these resources and then there's the cash that's needed. And then there's getting the buy-in and then there's getting the new cat. You know, there's just so many resources that you have to manage. And, you know, I just like to remind ourselves that when we are investing in business, particularly startups, you know, it's a huge amount of resource management and every decision really, really matters. And then the third thing I would say is there's a structure. I, my worst investment was an investment in a startup company, in particular, like a tech company. And I developed a framework that I use, which is first, trust. If I don't trust the person, I don't invest. Second, this is for kind of startup. Second is idea. Is the idea good? Now, in this case, you've described that the idea is good. Third question, can they execute? And then the fourth question is, do they have the capital? And it's not necessarily them that has the capital. I may help them get the capital. But what I really want to make sure is I'm not the only provider of capital. Right. So trust, idea, execution, capital, that is at least the foundation of whether I would get involved and then, you know, try to make value out of it. I would change your order. I would go trust, execution, idea, capital. I have an execution problem. So my, I had to reverse the order for me from now on. Like, can they execute? Like, yeah. no matter how good the idea is. I don't care is, what your idea is. I don't care what the idea is if you can't execute it. And if you're not <laughs> going to execute it. You know, when, when somebody like the, the guy I was telling you about that, I had a good experience with, he's uh, how many days or how many hours? 24 minus seven. So he's 17, seven. Mm. And he's working 17. He's going to mm. succeed. Yeah. Amazon gave him money. A whole bunch of people gave him money. He hustled. Yeah. Yep. And he, he did a good job. Hmm. So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take when this opportunity face, they face this opportunity, how are they going to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah, you're, you're going to have to trust more than just the individual. You're going to have to trust that they're the right person to bring that product or idea to life. 
sometimes, I mean, and, and I get to see things because I do some investing. And so people bring me things, but all of them are good ideas, right? Mm. They all look like good ideas. They all have value to them at some level. But when you're looking at that, you have to think, is this the person that can bring this thing to life? And sometimes the person that has the idea, and I think you know this probably better than I do, they're not the right one to do it. They're the right person to have maybe the IP and to own it. But that should have been taken away from those, those two guys like right away. It should have been taken away and given to somebody who is a, a reliable, trustworthy party that could actually execute it. Everybody would have made, I'm going to tell you, I think this was a billion dollars. Mm. I think it was billion dollar idea because it would eliminate so much of other things that are used that this could have been used for. But yeah. I think best way to summarize your advice is what you said previously, which is you bet on the jockey, not the horse. Right. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? My fourth book is, uh, I'm birthing it right now while we're talking. So I, I've got two more chapters to just clean up and then that thing's going to come out February or March next year. And I'm going to spend a year teaching people how to be one up mm. and help their clients by leading them to the better results that they need. Okay. That's fantastic. That's going to be, I know how challenging it is to write a book and uh, my books are all kind of short, but I know that it takes a lot out of you, but it brings a lot to the world. What is the best way for the audience to engage with you? You've got so many different books. You've got your Sunday newsletter. You've got lots of different stuff. Where is the best place for people to get the best of you? Well, I'll give you two choices. So mm -hmm. if you go to thesalesblog.com, so thesalesblog.com forward slash newsletter, yep. that's my best work comes to you every Sunday in an email. If you really like books and uh, you're, you're interested in being a better human being and a more effective one, then the red book behind me over there, the only sales guide you'll ever need, a terrible name for a first book when you have a three book deal. Like I, I asked, like, why did we name it this? And they're like, it's a great name. And I'm like, but I'm writing two more books in the next two years. And like, no one will remember. Everybody remembered. Everybody remembered. It didn't work that Wait way. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you just tell me it was the only sales guide? It's just a title. That book is about human effectiveness. So mm. if you're into success and trying to improve, that's the book to read. Fantastic. I'll have links to that and all the other links in the show notes. Listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. Remember to go to myworstinvestmentever.com and join our Facebook group to connect with our community of guests and fellow listeners. As we conclude, Anthony, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A.E. Stotts Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? I always have the same parting words for every audience. Do good work. Like you're here for a short time, make it count. Do good work. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on The Upside.